Hey, John. Mm. Did you know that this week's zone deal is to Lulabee's Breakfast Brunch and Bar? I do now. It is Tell indeed. Lulabee's Breakfast Brunch and Bar, downtown Omaha. Everything from French toast and omelets to shrimp tacos and burgers and a full bar with unique cocktails festively decorated party for family events and celebrations or just brunch with all your friends you can get two $25 vouchers just $25 that's half off and get all the details today at 1620thezone.com check it out today and don't forget to uh, sign up for subscribe today because there'll be other great offers coming down the road. If you're a member of Subscribe Today, just go to 1620thezone.com, scroll down, you see the Subscribe Today, put in your email. It doesn't cost you a thing. Don't worry about it. We're not going to spam the crud out of you. We promise. Um, I, I'm a, a little surprised, you know, the Jays have announced, oh, what has it been? I think six, seven, or eight games have been sold out this year that this is not one of them. Yeah, why is that? I just did a scan on the ticket site and was able to add in my head, so, uh, you know, give or take 100. Uh, there's still 75 seats available tonight for tonight's game against number one UConn. Um, I, I'm guessing part of it is it's a Tuesday night. Uh, the other is there hasn't been – I, I get it, UConn's a defending champion, so it was going to be an attractive game anyway. Uh, we've known that UConn's been the number one team in the country for, I think it's now six or seven weeks in a row. Um, so you could kind of see this time coming. Um, but the fact that, uh, you know, there hasn't been as much run-up this week. I mean, it's only been two days since the Jays played Butler and that uh, UConn played Marquette. I don't know. Um, I, I know that the people who, who expect to be here tonight are really ramped up for it. I mean, the social media activity is been higher on this game than most others but yeah pictures of the arena before it arrives like you don't really see a whole lot of that before the game gets here exactly um and and maybe some of it too is a little bit of trepidation giving what UConn did because really the last true clunker and that's and I guess by clunker you're really more talking about offense than anything else uh, because defensively the Jays played fine um was against UConn uh several games nine games ago uh, when UConn won by double figures uh, and the Jays couldn't get any offense going. And so maybe maybe there's just that natural trepidation of, well, they're not as good as UConn. And listen, this is a really good basketball team. Uh, I, I mean, the, the, the conversations have been had, and I'm certainly willing to listen to them, uh, that this team is actually better than last year's team, even though they're missing, you know, a few pieces from last year. You know, like Sonogo, for example. He's not the big man anymore. Uh, but the way this and, and this team has been good from the beginning. Last year's team, you know, they had the slide in the month of January. They had a losing record in January, and then they turned it on in February, and then really turned it on in March and April, and and basically steamrolled their way to the title. So this team has certainly been the more consistent team from start to finish. They've only lost two games this year. Both were on the road. One was to Kansas, and we know how tough it is to win there. Mm-hmm. And the other one was kind of a surprising loss to Seton Hall. But as we found out, Seton Hall is uh, it's a pretty good basketball team, tied for third along with Creighton in the Big East. So you can certainly look at those games and, and say, eh, you know, you're not going to win them all. I mean, there's, there's a reason why only one team has won every single college basketball game they played in a season since 1976, and it happened in 1976. It's, it's not easy to do. Um, but I think if there is a team that 
has that look right now, uh, it's UConn, without question. I like to describe UConn as malleable. They can, now they will try to play their style, but they're good in a shootout. They're good in a grinder. They're good if it's a fast-paced game, if it's a slow-paced game, if you need finesse, if you need toughness. They, they, you know, no matter how it is you try to play, they can match you and in some cases, in most cases, surpass you. Dan Hurley said something earlier this week. He said, when you play elite offense, you play elite defense, and you're a great rebounding team, and you play harder than the opponent, it doesn't give the opponent a lot of places to go. And that's what he said after the win on Saturday against Marquette. And, and they are. They, they, you know, it is a team that plays elite defense. We saw that against the Jays. The way they were able to press out on Creighton's ball handlers and just make life miserable. Ryan Kalkbrenner went four of five in that game. And you're looking at the box score and you're saying, well, why didn't they feed him more? Why didn't they feed him? Because they could. That was the game. That was the game that got Matt DeMarinas, our colleague from White and Blue Review, to talk. You know, to describe him as cheat code. He's like, why didn't they give him the ball more? Well, a lot of it was they couldn't. Especially sitting there courtside, it was. I mean, it, I know. I know it probably looked one way on television. Probably looked the same way on television. But sitting courtside, it felt like I was being suffocated. I mean, they were making life miserable for Creighton's guards. And I anticipate we're going to see something very similar to that tonight. And other teams have done it, but no team did it as well as UConn did. So they play elite defense. Offensively, they, they're they a team that, you know, you've got the, they got two guys on the floor in Spencer and Caravan who hit 40% or greater of their threes. They're deadly three-point shooters. Then you've got Newton who can do a little bit of everything. He can score at the rim. He can shoot the three. Great rebounder. Great facilitator. And then you got the big – they got their own Kalkbrenner in Donovan Klingon. It's just a very complete team that can beat you in a lot of different ways, but probably the most important thing about them, Josh, is how tough they are. Yeah. You know, we, we talk a lot about Dan Hurley, and he gets spastic, and I'm sure we'll see pouty face tonight. But there is no question this team has developed a chemistry and a culture of toughness where they're just not going to be out-toughed in a basketball game. And we're talking about tough. We're not just talking about the typical, oh, they're rooting guys out of the post, they're elbowing guys, they're pushing people around, they're getting away with this. No, that's not what I'm necessarily talking about. They're mentally tough. They don't let things rattle them. And that's especially important when you come on the road. And, and it's why they're a favorite tonight. You know, this is only the... Eighth time, I think it was, or no, I'm sorry. Connor had a tweet earlier today. This is the 352nd game that Creighton has hosted at this building. They're only an underdog for the 22nd time tonight. And this is one of them. Yeah, I mean, the the fact that there's a question about UConn on the front page right now of, of the whole website, ESPN.com, the whole website. Uh, it says, Men's Bracketology, new number one UConn looking to finish season at number one. Oh, and it's funny, it now changed it. But earlier, five minutes ago, it was, would you take UConn or would you take the field? Think about that. UConn or the field? Um, I, the, the answer is very easy for me, John. The answer would be the field. 
um, because how often yes. does the best team in the regular season actually win the national championship in college basketball? It doesn't really happen as, as often as maybe we would yeah, expect. Yeah, because UConn to. wasn't that team last year. Correct. But it just says a whole lot about what they have been able to put together so far this season um, to get to this point where – uh, they're coming into this this game tonight. By the way, to, to answer the question about the the thing you said at the beginning of the segment, got someone who reached out to me about the tickets and said almost all of those tickets are singles, so tougher to sell those certainly than it is you know if you buy yeah there's a yeah I, two yeah, of them together. A, it is still yeah. odd though, given that it's the number one team. It's a matchup of top fifteen teams. It is the biggest home game of the season. And it's really not even close. And it's not the last chance for Creighton to get a big win, but certainly no no win uh, on the schedule the rest of the year in the regular season would be as big as a win over UConn would be tonight. On top of that, of course, you add in that they've never beaten a number one team, you know, period, in the history of their program. It's, it's, a, it's a hell of an opportunity. And that first game, you know, very, I, mean, I don't know, unmemorable. I mean, I guess it's memorable for all the wrong reasons, but that was one of those where you watch it and you say, oh, okay, UConn really is that team, at least in the regular season this year. They they made it so hard on Creighton, um, what they were able to do throughout that one, just the amount of points that they scored, uh, the difficulty, as you mentioned, in, in terms of getting those good shots together, and that was the one blemish in the month of January. They've been obviously a bit up and down since then, um, since the I guess since January, since February started, uh, but it's a heck of an opportunity in a few hours tonight. The, the, the two things that really did in the Jays in the first matchup, because they played really well defensively. If you look at all the metrics, it was one of it was one it was UConn's worst offensive game of the season. Their their effective field goal percentage was sub forty. Uh, you know they, they missed they missed more layups than they made. Uh, but the problem was twofold: it was offensive rebounds and it was turnovers. And to that point, UConn missed forty five shots against Creighton, but they got an offensive rebound on twenty one of them. So that's almost half. Mm-hmm. Almost half the shots they missed, they got an offensive rebound. And one of the hardest things to do in basketball is, you know, the shot goes up, and your primary job on defense is, hey, you want them to take either a poor shot or block the shot or, you know, a shot that you'd rather have them take. And when they miss, you feel like you've won. And there's nothing more deflating than you get them to miss the shot, but you don't get the basketball back because they get the basketball back. They get the rebound. And so they were able to, even though they, you know, I like to look at second chance points, and if you can go one-for-one ratio or better than that, then you're doing really well. UConn only, I say only, I'm using air quotes, only scored 19 points off those 21 offensive rebounds. So it was less than a point per offensive rebound. But in a game where neither team was shooting the ball well, that proved to be a huge difference. Then you combine that with the turnovers. And Creighton turned it over 14 times. And UConn got 15 points there. So when you look at the extra possessions, which turnovers and offensive rebounds essentially are, UConn got more than half of their points on extra possessions, either second chance off the offensive rebound or points off turnovers. That was the game right there. Creighton played well enough defensively on the initial possession to win the game. It's one of their best, it it arguably was their best defensive performance of the year. Given the competition, where it was played, who you were playing, the quality of the shots that they were getting, and yet they still lost by double digits because they didn't really finish the defensive 
series. Yeah. You finish the defensive series by getting the rebound. And then on the offensive end, you don't give them free bu- freebies by you know making bad passes or traveling or other turnovers. And so that's really where the game was lost. So if you're looking at this tonight and you're looking for a, a, a spot where you know this supposedly unbeatable team can be beaten, you can go back to the blueprint of the first game and say, hey, we made these guys miss a lot of shots. They yeah. missed 45 shots. You look at, you know, you look at the percentages. Caravan, who, like I said, is a 40% three-point shooter, was one for five. Stephon Castle, who's been the multi-time rookie of the week or freshman of the week in the Big East, went one for five from three. UConn as a team only hit five threes the entire game. But they got second chances. Yeah, they they had nearly as many offensive rebounds as defensive rebounds, and when that happens, usually bad things occur. So, John, we'll have Nick on in a, in a little over an hour, and I know one yeah. of the the things that you know I've been ruminating on, you know, is like what makes what makes UConn so tough, and and where where do they have these advantages? And we kind of just went through some of them right there. So, where where does Creighton have an advantage in this game that they could take advantage of of the Huskies and and leave with a W? Where, where, where can they be beaten, I guess, is the way to ask it. Well, they can be beaten initially, again, if you can defend as well as you did in the first game. Um, they can be beaten in if, if you're making shots. I mean, tonight you're going to have to make some shots. Creighton, was, Creighton did not shoot the ball well, and, and, and certainly a, a lot of that was because they were forced into some bad shots due to the fact that they were doing so much on-ball pressure, but... At, you know, at the end of the day, and I didn't see the shot quality chart, but Creighton goes 6 of 26 from 3. They obviously have to do better than that. Stephen Ashworth, and this was this was actually the game that got Stephen Ashworth going. Um, not that he was, you know, hitting a lot of perimeter shots because he only went 2 of 8, but it was the game where he started to just kind of put his head down and say, to heck with it, I'm going to try to make something happen, and he did. He was able to get to the rim. And I think that game kind of helped with his confidence a little bit. And so you've seen a little bit of a different Stephen Ashworth since this point. Really, it was this game that kind of started him on this run where he's looking more like the Stephen Ashworth that was promised. But I mentioned, you know, Ryan Kalkbrenner. They have to get the ball to Ryan Kalkbrenner. He goes four of five. He needs to have, you know, he needs to have his 12 to, you know, 15 field goal attempts in this game. Um, Trey Alexander goes three for 12. You know, he got to his spot on a few occasions, his spot being, you know, basically that area between 10 to 15 feet, you know, in and around the free throw line, and he, he wasn't making those. Baylor Shireman only had 12 points in the game on four of 11 shooting. They're going to have to make some shots tonight to win. Now, that said, it, it would not surprise me if this was another low-scoring affair. I mean, if you look at the history of this series – the winning team, generally it's the first team that gets to 60 wins. There have not been high-scoring games in this series. I think the very first one they played when they went to overtime, and this was during, uh, was it COVID year? Yeah, it was COVID year because I was doing the game from. From your house? The, uh, from No, from the studio. Um, I think that got into the 70s. But, again, that went into overtime. But typically these are more of a grinder, lower possession, lower scoring games. But you can make a big difference in that if you can exchange a few threes tonight that you weren't hitting in the first game. But that's easier said than done because UConn all season has only allowed two teams to make ten or more threes against them. 
only two. And they were both non-conference games that UConn won and ended up going away. Yeah. So it was one of those deals where they probably had a lot of subs on the floor, or whatever the case may be. It's hard to get good shots against UConn. But when Creighton does get good shots, and, you know, the way, you know, Greg McDermott can X's and O's in offense, um, you know, draw up plays, they, they will get some good shots, but they've got to hit them tonight. They can't have a night where they get, you know, if they get, you know, 10 or 15 quality threes, they need to hit north of 40% of them. I think the worst thing you can hear after tonight's game, whether it's in the post-game interview with you or just the, the general media session is it's a, what is it? It was a make shot, miss shot basketball game. And we mm-hmm. were on the wrong end. Like that's not what you want to hear. By the way, Rothstein, John, John Rothstein, he tweeted John, about it a little bit earlier. Uh, now, so this is as of two hours ago. UConn currently three and a half against Creighton, minus 164 on the money line. 83% of the total bets on the spread have been on UConn, 87% of the total handle. And then if you look at money line, 76% of the total bets have been on UConn, 94% of the total handle. So this is one of those games where everybody is on the Huskies. Uh, So if Creighton is able to pull it out, I know that this one will be uh, quote tweeted and retweeted um, because we so often will see that happen in sports. But on the other hand, uh, the Chiefs were the obvious bet uh, a a week and a half ago, and they ended up winning the Super Bowl. So there you go. Yeah, you know, listen, I understand completely why UConn's favored. You know, and, and a lot of times it's, you know, last impression. Now, UConn's had a lot of great last impressions because they've won 14 straight and they've won all but two games, 23-2 and two this year. Um, but their last impression was an extremely strong impression. Mm-hmm. You know, they took a Marquette team that was playing very good basketball and was number four in the country and absolutely ran them off the floor. In fact, that in, in many ways, the Marquette game from Saturday – was similar to the first Creighton-UConn game in which it was a nip-and-tuck game for the first 11, 12 minutes, and then it, it quickly flipped. And UConn, Now, it wasn't the same in that, you know, they got a ton of offensive rebounds and points off turnovers. They did, but um, over, the, over 26 minutes after the game was tied at, 11, or tied at uh, 18, UConn went on a run that was 60-31. to 31. 60 to 31 against a really good good Marquette team. So that's the last impression we have of them. The other part, you know, kind of finishing up the answer to your question, Josh, the other part is they got to feed off the energy in this place. Yes. They've got, I mean, you know, there's a reason why. Don't let it get you in a bad way. Yeah, there's a reason why it's hard to win on the road. Well, because you're playing in a place like this. Stunning stat about UConn is that they have not beaten a ranked team on the road in is it 10 years yeah that's that is wild yeah that that is crazy and i thought i had it written down on here yeah here it is uconn has not beat a ranked team on the road since Since january 2014 20 straight losses yeah and they won a natty that year by the way in 2014 yeah. So think about yeah. that though. So they they have so they won one that season. They also won one last year. Um, and in between that, they have not they have not and, and beyond they have not beaten a ranked team on the road. Pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, something's got to give. You know, Creighton's never beaten a number one team before. UConn hasn't beaten a ranked team on the road in over ten years. Yeah. So something something tonight has to give. I I mean, it should be good. The thing is, the last game notwithstanding, um, the games in this series have been really good. 
especially the ones here in Omaha. Um, you know, last year's game was highly emotional. Creighton came back in the second half uh, two years ago. Heck, even the, the first time they played in this building, it was in, during COVID. I remember because I was literally sitting in this booth. Uh, Dan Early got teed up, and but, but that was a team that um, didn't end up having a great season. But they just they just bring a certain attitude about them. In many ways, you know, they're they're a lot like those Villanova teams. They just have a certain toughness and a certain culture about them that is hard to um, it's hard to replicate. I did want to play one one quote here because I mentioned uh, Dan Hurley was on SVP last night, and he was asked about you know defending a title versus. You know, you know how, how a title, you know, kind of validates what it is you've done and kind of the approach that you take going into the next season. Is there a certain comfort level with that? Here was uh, Dan Hurley last night with Scott Van Pelt. And, of course, because it's coming from ESPN, there's probably some music or some ah! background highlights going on in the background. So just, Gross you know, wishes. yeah, acknowledge that. Here it is. You know, we didn't want to you know, look at this uh, season as, you know, being defensive. We wanted to you know, to kind of, you know, reign more like champions would in terms of the quality of, of how we would play during the course of the year. Our mindset is, if somebody's going to have to kill us to take that number one ranking from us, I mean, they're going to have to play so well uh, that they can take that, rip that ranking out of our, uh, you know, dead hands as we're laying there because, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty adamant about, uh, about trying to hold on to that. I mean, that's the kind of attitude you got to have. And, and, you know, there's a reason why. And I know, you know, of all the coaches in the Big East, it's between he and Shaka Smart that probably annoys people the most because of their histrionics or the way they act on the sideline. But there is no doubting the culture and the toughness he's built. This was the same guy who coached the Rhode Island team who upset the Jays in the tournament, you know, seven, eight years ago. Um, and his, his name is Hurley. His dad, you know, Dan Hurley Sr., one of the toughest guys around. We all know who Bobby Hurley is mm-hmm. and what he represented. That's just what they bring. And so they won't be intimidated by this crowd tonight. Um, but the Jays still need to be able to feed off of it tonight if they're going to have a shot. But, by the way, real quick for Bruncey, the question yeah. that I see has taken over Creighton fandom today on the Internet is, if they win, do they storm? <laughs> do they storm no the idea. floor? I don't know. Number one team in the country. I don't know. If you do, I, please, I don't know, and please I don't be care. kind. You don't care. John, that'd be an incredible scene. You could be like, look at the I, fans I, are on the floor. Slow it up. Slow it up. Yeah, it'd be great. I mean, it'll be exciting whether they're on the floor or not on the floor. Okay. I don't think that you don't care. You definitely would care. You, you could no, take fun I, pictures. I, I, I you could tweet them out. You could say, look no, at this No, because I, you, know, you know me. I don't like, I don't like hoodlis, hoodlamism and vandals. Wow. I don't need vandalism. We still got guys that need to get to the locker room. Yes, exactly. you can say that, You don't John. want me to say that. We, we st- still got guys that need to get to the locker room. We got all these drunks on the floor. We still mm. need, we still need our guys to get to the locker room. Everything going on right now. Yes, exactly. Everything going on right now. <laughs> Maybe if that happens, I'll save that call for that. We've got everything going on mm. right here. Well, we've got Michael Brunts coming up on here. Oh, yeah. Next on 1620 The Zone.